Hello, and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I am Annie Kriegbaum. You just revealed a secret to me, which I'd like to discuss on air really quickly. I I revealed a secret to you? Yes. What did I say? You have, so Kriegbaum is one name in your family. What is the other name in your family? Nick, can we not? Do we not have any sense of humor about ourselves? Well, it's not my name. Basically, my mom's side of the family has a funny word within their last name. And <laughs> that's a good potty humor word. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. That's why Nick thinks it's hilarious. Because <laughs> <laughs> he has a sense of humor of an 11-year-old year old boy. <laughs> anyway, Andy, how are you? You're like preparing for the drop. Liftoff? Yeah. I know. It's crazy. There's so much going on. It is not as glamorous as... I think it probably seems on the outside for when, without giving away too much, when you see things come to life and founders are very much, you know, marketed as part of a story. Like a mythology, yeah. When something launches, which is actually as like a preview to our interview today with the founder of Black Girl Sunscreen. She has a different take on that whole founder as influencer phenomenon or approach, which I found really refreshing. And I wonder if I'm allowed to do any of that. Well, I feel like the mold up until this point has been make it look effortless, make yourself look like a girl boss or a boy boss, but like don't take yourself too seriously, but also you're incredibly powerful and all this stuff. And it's like, you're trying to be this kind of conundrum. And I said this to you yesterday, like, I don't think most people know how starting companies breaks your soul. It doesn't break my soul. I actually feel oh, okay. so yeah, fulfilled more so than <laughs> more so than any time in my life. I'm really proud of everything that's been happening. But I will say I can understand how the perception of maybe someone like me doing something like this could seem like the the work wasn't put in because Well, I'll tell you what I think. Okay, please explain it to me from your perspective. I'm explaining to you like what you'd be worried that explain people Explain my think. female experience. Yeah, from so your I'll start at the beginning. Um no, I was going to say I feel like people would think that like being a founder is like creating a mood board and like just being I haven't inspired. created one mood board this entire time. <laughs> but that's what I mean, time. like it's like the things that are the glamorous <laughs> side of the industry, the things that like you know, Lauren Conrad got to do on the hills that like no other intern in the history of internships has ever gotten to do, like go to photo shoots and like, you know, like put makeup on models and all this stuff, which is actually the reality is when you're a founder, you're the janitor and the president and the bookkeeper and the makeup and, artist and the makeup <laughs> artist and the model and the everything. I remember being so frustrated when I worked at Glossier and I don't know where it was said somewhere online or maybe someone told me they heard somebody else say it or whatever, but it was like, the comment was, what does she do? Take selfies all day. And it was just so disheartening. So it was like, I was literally like what you said, taking out the trash and yeah. schlepping things from like those photo shoots. We didn't have a production crew. It was us, you know, yeah. like me and my two team members. At the same time, like that wouldn't make interesting content. I always would think about that for weeks when we were like really in the early stages of Necessaire or with Into the Gloss. The unglamorous stuff, quote unquote, is not also interesting <laughs> to people. But that's the problem. It's like this Disney World presentation. I also don't agree with this weaving a false narrative around what it means to do this kind of thing. What I'm saying is I don't think it's false. It kind of is at this point. I think it's like what you want to show. I truly have nothing glamorous to share. Like you, you want to see my office? I'm like working out of plastic bins from the container store. 
Yeah, which is not to say that it's not cool and it's awesome to be able to do your own thing and to raise money and execute on a vision that you have, but it's exhausting. And so I just wanted you to know that I'm there for you. I'm here for you. I love it. I know you keep on saying that you're here for me, but I'm like, everything's fine. Because like I was very traumatized twice. It's well, the issue, I think, with starting a company, and I got a little bit better with the second one was that it becomes so much a part of who you are and your social capital that anytime someone says something about the product or anything, Mm -hmm. like it just cuts really deeply. And then Mm -hmm. you're in a place also where on a day-to-day basis, the highs are so high or can be so high and the lows can be so low. In a single day, I remember like back in the day with Into the Gloss going home to Casey and him being like, how was your day? And I'm like, I just, I can't even describe, like there was one thing that happened that was horrible and then someone offered to give us a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like it was crazy. Roller coaster. Yeah. Well, more on that later, right? Exactly. What else is going on in your life? We're adjusting. Evie is two and a... No, she's actually nine weeks today. And this weekend, we're having her Hebrew naming ceremony, and I got a really cute dress from this Spanish brand called La Coqueta. And Mm. she has red hair, which we're not sure how, but I'm trying to play it up with like a green dress. So we're having fun with the color green, which I can't wear because it makes me look like very sick. And I'm just realizing how fun it is to have a girl that's like literally having a living doll. Well, she has something coming her way from me. It's not her real gift, but it's to tide her over until her real gift is done. And the hint is it's so we can all match. Oh, my God. If they're baby Uggs, I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) Baby ultra mini Uggs. That's going to be hard to open that package and not scream and throw myself off the patio. Anyway, should we get to top stories? Let's do it. Do you want to start with the hard stuff or the soft news? Hit me with the hard stuff. Okay, this is going to be hard. This is from the rumor mill, but somewhat validated rumor mill because this is a story from WWD, but there's rumblings that Shiseido is looking to divest, which means sell off their North American makeup brands, which includes Bare Minerals, Laura Mercier, and Buxom Cosmetics. And the theory behind this rumor is that color cosmetics have taken a hit in the last several years, we know, but particularly during the coronavirus pandemic. And they bought Drunk Elephant, which is skincare. And so they're trying to sort of hone their focus on skincare and offload their makeup brands. You know what this also hints at? Hailey Bieber's contract with Bare Minerals is coming to a close so that she can launch her own line. And do you think that you think that's going to be skincare? I think it's going to be skincare. Yes. Well, maybe both. I'm sure it's going to be both. I think she'll start with skincare and then she'll add in some color like skincare hybrids and then do something more glam. Like she'll probably do like an eyelash serum mascara. Interesting. Is she a mascara girl? I can't really tell. You like love Hailey Bieber. But what I think also is interesting about this is that we're seeing moves, like pretty big moves for pretty big corporations. So we saw Lauder close Becca Cosmetics. They closed Rodin, Olio Lusso. And now Shiseido is trying to sell Bare Minerals and their other color brands. And I didn't know this. But earlier this year, Shiseido agreed to sell its personal care like business to a private equity firm for $1.5 billion. What counts as personal care in the Shiseido world? I'm glad you asked. Personal care would be Subaki, Senka, Uno, and Seabreeze. Uno? We love Uno. Yeah, those are more their drugstore brands. Got it. So in other industry news, L'Oreal 
is opening another U.S. headquarters this time. This will be its West Coast one. In Los Angeles. It'll be home to NYX Cosmetics, Urban Decay, and a brand called Pulp Riot, which I've never heard of, but it looks like it's a professional hair color brand that does all the rainbow colors that we all know and love for hair. This was actually the most exciting news to me this week. So I've talked many times on this podcast about my love for Erwan Market, which is a natural food market in LA that has several locations across the city. And it is prohibitively and laughably expensive, but everything is just of the best, highest quality. Okay, so I go there and I get a green smoothie. Guess how much I pay for it? How much? $20. For the Green Goddess smoothie. It is really good. It's basically like a vanilla milkshake, but there's a ton of vegetables inside. That's crazy, though. But anyway, Erwan is now deciding to expand its beauty aisle, essentially, and they've hired the head of Whole Foods Beauty Department, a woman named Marin Giuliano, who actually started out working in a Whole Foods beauty section. Then she became the head of the beauty assortment. And now she's going to build up the beauty at Erwan. How many Erwans are there too right now? It actually says in this article in Beauty Independent, there are currently six stores, but they just leased a Beverly Hills location that's 11,000 square feet. And then they're also opening a Studio City store, which is in the Valley. And in the Studio City store, they're actually going to have a full aisle dedicated to beauty and wellness. And having spent a lot of time in Erewhon, it doesn't feel like the beauty assortment comes from a place of expertise. It's more just feels like it's natural things. So I would never buy my beauty there. So I think if they can infuse a little bit more education so that you could understand like why these products are better than others and also what their philosophy is around cleanliness and ingredients. I understand with Erewhon grocery store that you go in there and you expect everything to be organic, et cetera. But with the beauty, I don't think it's just organic beauty. So I, I think that she has some work to do around like the marketing messaging and then also the point of sale education. Also, do you remember when I called out Erwan? No. What? <laughs> so they used to have like a, what are they called? It's like the mat in front of your door. A doormat. <laughs> <laughs> They used to have a doormat at the beginning of the store that said, if it's in here, it's good for you or something like that. And the assumption was that everything in the store was organic and no bad things. And so this Christmas, I was in Erewhon and I saw they had this classic looking bottle of eggnog. And I looked at the ingredients and it was like red number 10 and potassium sorbate, hydroxy. It was like all these things I can't pronounce. And I posted it on Instagram and someone from Air One responded to my story and said, thank you for bringing this to our attention. We've removed it from our shelves. <laughs> really doing God's work, Nick. Yeah, exactly. Christmas time at all times. You're taking eggnog I, It was like the, the, the Jew taking away, <laughs> taking away <laughs> eggnog. Ugh, I know that does not sound Nick. great. Nick, Nick, Nick. Tell me about Naomi Osaka. So she's an athlete. This is actually the biggest story of the week. We really buried the lead here, but she is launching a line of sunscreen that will cater towards people with darker skin tones. Very much on theme with our episode today. No surprise here really for me, except for, I guess like you have Serena Williams, another tennis player who's also launched a line of sunscreen. The line will be called Kin Lo. Kin meaning gold in Japanese, Lo meaning gold in Haitian Creole. So she's referencing her 
dual culture in the name. It's going to be under $20 an item. She's doing tinted moisturizers, seemingly like an SPF 40 and a sports appropriate SPF 50. And what's cool is she's launching direct to consumer, at least initially. And there's, I guess, a question of who her third party retailer would be. But if we could imagine this being like a good Ulta or Target collaboration, I feel like these huge athletes don't do anything without a big retail muscle behind them. I mean, she has huge investors behind this line too. Her investment partner is the venture firm A-Fame Brands, which which is a firm that'll be launching a whole portfolio of like personal care brands. This is according to Business of Fashion. And these brands will be targeted towards underserved communities. It says they'll typically have like a famous person attached. Anyway, Naomi is the CEO of this brand. And it launches autumn of this year, which seems a little late for sunscreen, but if anyone can do it, it's Naomi Osaka. This was kind of a bummer to me, this story, and I think it's a good thing, but it is also a bad thing. Epicurious.com, which I, I now still don't understand really what the difference between Epicurious is and Bon Appetit, but... But that's like saying what's the difference between like L and like Vogue. But they're both Condé Nast and they're both recipes. Oh, really? I know they're yeah. both Condé Nast. <laughs> yeah, they're both Condé Nast. Anyway, it's a recipe and cooking food website. And they just announced that they are eliminating beef, as in cow meat, from all of their recipes, articles, and newsletters. It will not show up on our homepage, they say. It will be absent from our Instagram feed. And they're doing this to hopefully make people's cooking more environmentally friendly, as I'm sure a lot of people that are listening know, the raising of livestock, particularly cows, is super inefficient. And Well, they release methane gases into the environment. They do that. And then they also just like the amount of space they need for the amount of food they provide is not good. So no more beef. And... What's funny is, side note, we didn't have any beef at our wedding for this reason, but this kind of reminds me also of another Condé Nast title, Allure.com or Allure Magazine, or no, what did Michelle Lee tell us? Allure. The brand Allure. Allure the brand. They announced last week, I believe, basically very strict regulations, internal regulations around what they'll call sustainable in terms of brands marketing. So I guess they used to report whatever a brand would tell them, like our packaging is recyclable and yada, yada, yada. But now they're saying that they're no longer going to say that plastic is recyclable and they'll look for basically like proof of any other environmental claims. They basically were saying that they're going to stop allowing greenwashing words. So words like natural or recyclable or zero waste, they're going to make brands prove what they mean when they use these words. So it's going to sound like it'll be very different reporting from Allure because honestly, and this is something that Annie, you know a lot about, like sustainability, it becomes dangerous when it becomes just marketing speak. Exactly. Because the consumer tries to make the best choice possible and they will take a lot of marketing terms at face value because we're taught to believe that if it's on the packaging, then it must have some sort of evidence behind this claim. But Unfortunately, that's not always true, as everybody listening, I'm sure, knows. We talk about it a lot. The term natural does not mean anything, and even the term organic is increasingly becoming less and less meaningful, or the definition is getting watered down, I think, than the original intent of the word. So yeah, I think that this is like brilliant, and I think Allure, amongst all the beauty content that we are bombarded with daily on the internet, has really risen to the top and being 
super reputable. Everything that they write and cover is very well researched. And this is just another example of that. So well done. Okay, can we talk about some other health news? Biden addressed Congress for the first time. State of the Union. We all logged in and took notes, right? A lot of people that I know did watch it. I did not. So I was going to like try to act all like high and mighty, but I'm not. I must admit I, I missed it, but I did see this. He's banning menthol cigarettes. The last bastion. I didn't know this. It's the last flavored. allowable flavor in yeah. cigarettes. Crazy, right? Did you ever go through a smoking like phase? Of course. In college, I remember I would like smoke on the way to class in the morning, which is so <laughs> disgusting. Like trying to look cool or why did you yeah, do Yeah, I don't know. But like I don't didn't want a cigarette in the morning. Like I don't know. The fact that you can like get candy flavored, you know, mint flavored cigarettes is obviously appealing to younger people. So that's bad. So plus one for Biden. So this is kind of an add-on or a continuation of a story that we covered earlier this year when Sephora announced that they would be going into all coals. And we were kind of questioning, this seems like a weird move. Sephora has very much positioned themselves as a luxury brand and Kohl's is a more accessible brand. And so just recently this week, Sephora has announced which brands are going to be sold at Kohl's, and it is basically all their exclusives. So that's including Drunk Elephant, Fenty Beauty, Rare Beauty. So Kohl's shoppers, get excited. Nick, do you want to talk about the rising costs of commodities in the global market? I do. So this is another continuation from a previous episode, but we talked about how prices for femcare products and diapers and things like that were going to be increased in the fall from P&G, I believe. Now a report in the New York Times by Jillian Friedman is reporting that aside from just Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark, who makes Scott toilet paper, Huggies and pull-ups, are raising their prices. General Mills, who makes Cheerios, is increasing its prices. It used to be that brands would absorb these costs, as we suggested they do on our last episode. But now because of the demand created during the pandemic and rising shipping costs, it's like a ripple effect. Everyone decided that they wanted to like stay fit in their apartment so they would get bicycles and treadmills and all that stuff shipped from China. So then the ports were clogged and so all of a sudden the price to ship things became really expensive. And the lead times became super long. Correct. And so all these higher costs now, these companies are like, well, we don't have to absorb them anymore because the demand is so high for things like toilet paper and cleaning supplies. They quote a consultant at a consulting firm called Kearney named Greg Portel. And he says, quote, this isn't an opportunistic profit taking by companies. This is a reset of the market. So it's a rebalancing <laughs> okay. of pricing, which seems like a nicer way to say it's greed, because like just like these things now just should be more expensive because supply and demand. Anyway, that's food for thought. Capitalism has triumphed all over the world. But this triumph is only the prelude to the triumph of labor over capital. It's from Lennon. So in other news, TikTokers have discovered vegetables, apparently. And how do we know this? Because liquid chlorophyll has been like taking over TikTok. Because it's green and like pretty. Yeah, and they're chugging it and they're saying that it's curing their acne and making their skin glow. And they're like doing before and afters after like one week of drinking chlorophyll. And it's just like really funny because I used to, I remember buying chlorophyll 
liquid chlorophyll at, I don't know, Whole Foods when I was in college and drinking it with water and thinking the same thing. So it's funny that TikTok generation is having this huge breakthrough. But I feel like immediately after these trends start, then you immediately start seeing the criticisms of the TikTok doctors debunking all of these trends. It's a little vicious cycle. <laughs> They're basically saying like, eat broccoli. <laughs> like, yes, this is, this is what happens when you have a good diet where you're eating like vegetables and green foods. Your life will improve. Yes. Good job. Here's another softball. Apparently, everyone in Hollywood is getting their fake boobs removed. And we think, because this, we're basically the New York Times of beauty news podcasts, we think that we saw this on Dumois, but we're not sure. I thought I had heard it from like some bitchy friends gossiping, and then I realized, oh, wait, I don't see bitchy friends anymore. So it had to have been Dumois. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see anybody. Like, she's like everyone's bitchy friend. Who's so who's gotten their boobs removed? I think they were talking about like models and stuff. They were saying, you know, what during the pandemic, they're quietly getting this work done or this work undone because now the more fashionable thing is to not have enhanced boobs. We've long said on this podcast during quarantine and isolation was just such a great time to get like any kind of serious get procedure, any invasive face thing you want to get because. You can basically hide half your face under a mask and the other half with a pair of sunglasses and you're good to go outside and then you're just inside and you can use those crazy beauty filters on Zoom. Finally, we just wanted to congratulate Chloe Zhao, who is the first woman of color to win the Best Director Oscar. I did not watch the Oscars. It seemed really sad and just like reminding us of the last year we've had in, in isolation. But Chloe is the director of a movie with Frances McDormand called Nomadland, and she won a fucking Oscar. So congratulations. And the beauty angle on this is she was very low-key in her Oscars look. It appears that she did not wear any makeup, and she wore braided pigtails. And there's no news articles confirming this because that would be very off-brand of her to do a beauty story on her Oscars look. But... Just an interesting thing to see how these red carpet looks will evolve. I will say, if I ever have to go to the Oscars, I'm doing the whole thing. That seems really fun to me. I get that it's not fun for everyone, but... Speaking of which, you know who was making the rounds during the Oscars? Who? The elusive beauty sandwich. Beauty sandwich? I don't know who that... What's that? Remember, like, the guy that I told you about that I heard that was, like, two or $3,000 for, like, better than Botox, better than filler facials? Oh, Okay. So he's been sandwiching celebrities? He's been sandwiching the F out of celebrities. If anyone has a connect to Beauty Sandwich, I just we need to understand more what he's doing. And with that, we conclude Top Stories. So Annie, you and I were super excited to sit down this week with Shantae Lundy, who is the founder of Black Girl Sunscreen, which she launched in 2016 and is now sold in Target's nationwide. And she is the least typical founder I've ever spoken to in that she's really in it to win it in terms of the work and the mission to educate Black women and men about the dangers and the risks of sun exposure and skin cancer and to create products for a historically underserved market and to change behavior that's ingrained in a culture, as she sort of talks about, the behavior being, if you have dark skin, melanin-rich skin, you don't need to wear sun protection. It's naturally built into your skin. She's trying to both change that thinking and then also sell them on a pretty expensive SPF. So 
she's doing it though. And she's doing it really successfully and she's doing it the way she wants to do it. So here's our interview with Shantae Lundy. So you launched the brand in 2016. How did you launch it? Did you launch it sort of out of your garage or did you raise money? What was the sort of origin story? Dude, we launched on Instagram. And I am proud to say that because in the time of 2016, it was all about digital marketing. And if you had little to no resources, that's what you were going to do. Facebook it up. Instagram it up, whatever your preference of platforms were. And my initial investment was about 30000 But for the sun care space, that's not a lot of money because minimums are higher than really any other industry that I've seen. So mm. was it out of my garage? I can't say it was out of my garage, but was I packing orders from my loft? Yes. I think what a lot of people don't know about sunscreen as like a segment of skincare is that it's really more of an exercise in regulatory and you learn a lot about the FDA and labeling and testing and packaging and all that sort of stuff versus skincare technology because the actual sunscreens that you're legally allowed to use are so highly regulated. So how did you even approach the industry? I approached it green, not knowing a lot. I approached it with my own thoughts on sun care with the notion of, okay, this is how I want to do it. And we have to do it this way because this is the only way it's going to work. And that approach was met with resistance because the sun care industry is very conservative and traditional. And even with the name black girl sunscreen, it's kind of like, wait, what, who is this even for? For like a seven-year-old, the word girl or wait, you want to eliminate what? No, we've never done that in 20 years. That's not how we make formulas, Shantae. We know best because we've been doing this for ages, decades. So I came into the industry with, I would say, a fresh perspective, a progressive perspective, because it was, okay, let's give our consumers something that's going to work for their complexion. That's no white residue, right? Sunscreens at that time, some were doing it, some were not, majority were not. No oxybenzone, meaning coral reef friendly. Companies were not doing that at all. How did you even know to do that at that time? Because I feel like we've only started to hear about it as consumers in the past year. Couple years, yeah. Just a lot of research. And that's what I do to this day is just going down rabbit holes of rabbit holes. It was met with resistance, but we got through it. And we came up with a formula that works well for darker complexions and came from my mind. What was your background before you got into this industry? Business. What kind of business? I was in the car rental industry and I was in middle management. So I don't necessarily see myself as like a beauty guru, right? I see myself as a businesswoman. And because of my life, I have been fortunate enough to do, you know, the traveling and living in Los Angeles, which is huge for hiking and just being outside. And then it also gives us like creative vibe. So while I was here, I just became like a woman of the sun. But at the same time, my friends would encourage me to wear sunscreen and I'd be like, no, chill. But you see what it looks like on my skin? And of course they're like, yeah, but it's going to help you from sunburn or whatever. Because the way I was operating was if I didn't think there was going to be shade at an event, like I wouldn't go. 
Like if we're going to a barbecue or even a rooftop party, I'm paying for that umbrella. That's 25 bucks. I want to go under the awning because A, I wasn't confident with my complexion. And then B, I didn't want to get burned. What do you mean not confident? Growing up, I was made fun of for being dark skinned, right? Called names, just made fun of. And I didn't really start to accept my complexion until like my mid-20s. I read an interview with you and you were talking about sort of how the clinical trials and all of the research done in sun care and skin cancer prevention are done primarily on white people or Caucasian Mm -hmm. skin. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, did you look for research and couldn't find it or is it more complicated? I would even say it's more complicated than that. So even for presentations that I would have to do or raising funds, right, they want to know what's the addressable market, who's your target audience. Well, that's easy. What's the uses? How many sunscreens do you think you can sell to a person in uh, you know, a year, a month, whatever? There's no data on darker complexion people at all because we weren't using it. So black girl sunscreen is legit creating these statistics to date. There were no sales figures, but were there even like safety studies on darker skin tones? Yeah, it would say something like, okay, for melanoma cases, you know, very small percentage. But let's not even speak on melanoma. Let's talk about preventative measures because that's what sunscreen is used for, right? To prevent sunburn. So because it's harder to see sunburn on our skin complexion, there's not noted cases on how often a darker skinned person get the sunburn. So just having that information. For it to cause melanoma. So it's like hard to tell causation. Yeah, that's true. Because sunburn, you don't even always feel it, right? A lot of times you just see that you're burned if you're a lighter skin tone. It's not necessarily like that you're feeling the discomfort of being literally burned. And then you start to peel. Then you're like, oh, okay, Mm. I got sunburned. And so it's too late on our skin. We're like, oh, it just hurts. Then we start peeling and we're like, oh, it's sunburned. And I don't even think some people still know what it is. After the fact. In 2016, you started, you know, screaming from the rooftops about how melanin-rich skin needs SPF. Just because you have dark skin doesn't mean that you're immune from getting sunburned or like the negative consequences of laying in the sun or being out in the sun. When you started saying that on Facebook and Instagram and ads or in your organic stuff, was that met with like, oh, okay, got it, noted, I'm going (laughs) to get some sunscreen? Like, what was the reaction? No, there's always haters around, right? What's funny is it's not about hate as much as it is about like your challenge was really to like change a big widespread misconception. Yeah, it was huge. But, you know, we are where we are today because of just the warm welcoming that we've had and women really supporting Black Girl Sunscreen. So I would say that we are overwhelmed with the support today as opposed to having the naysayers. They're around. They will always be around. And those who are the ones that will say, okay, our ancestors in Africa never wore sunscreen or, oh my gosh, what is this person talking about? You know, with these European kind of thought provoking concepts and all these things. So in the beginning, I would say I was motivated. I'm I'm motivated still, but it was really motivating because, okay, this is going to be a task. Changing behaviors is one of the hardest things that you can do. And then stripping, let's say, a culture or a community of their superpower, which is our melanin, is also something that we have to like really be careful on how we communicate that. Because if you've been raised in a Black household and been told, like, hey, go outside and just play, you don't need sunscreen. It's almost like you have this shield 
that's protecting you. So how do we combat that type of language? How do you? Well, we just talk about the facts of like, okay, sure, you have, you know, a melanin of whatever, an SPF 4 to 13. Like the natural protectant of your skin. Yeah. But how do you preserve that? Right? Because SPF isn't just for sunburn, but it's for premature aging, evening out your complexion for hyperpigmentation. How do you stay looking the way you want? So those are the things that we really talk about. And we talk about like, you might not have gotten sunburn before, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to. You know, we encouraged having difficult conversation, but if you're not even open-minded to have it, then it's probably not worth having it anyway. Did you see kind of a community or the messaging hit with a certain type of person that was like, finally, there's a product for me. I've been waiting for this versus the messaging catching on. And then finally, more and more people starting to become advocates for your brand. How did that evolution happen? Yeah, it happened when we landed the partnership with a national retailer. Target was the first yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And now you're in Ulta as well. That's right. So unfortunately, consumers don't really think that like you're real or you're qualified until you do have shelf placement within these big retailers. And once we did hit the shelves of this national retailer, that's when people were like, oh, okay, yeah, they aren't just being whipped up in the kitchen. This is not just a thing with black girl sunscreen. This is a thing with a lot of black owned brands where you need some type of corporate validation in order to be seen, heard, and then taken seriously. Is that something cultural that you found? Like, because you, you mentioned Black-owned businesses having this issue particularly, which I, I don't disagree with, but I'm just wondering what you attribute that to. So when we go in the store, do we think about brands being Black-owned, Asian-owned, White-owned? I don't think that we do. But what we do know that most brands on shelves aren't necessarily Black-owned, right? Right. So we can okay. assume. We can assume. So for it not to be on the shelves is kind of like, yeah, I'm not really too sure about it. But then when it gets on the shelves, like, okay, yeah, they're good. So I think it's subconscious. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You have to like make it. It's like when an artist becomes like big, people start paying attention to them when they're like big, but not like indie. Nick and I were talking about how interesting it is to be able to talk with you because it seems like out of all of the beauty brands that have launched in the past five, six, seven years especially ones that have like a D to C element. It feels like you've kind of gone against the playbook in a lot of ways. You haven't everything we do. Yeah. You're not an influencer. You haven't marketed yourself as like an influencer, as like the face of your brand, which a lot of these brands have like very much relied on in terms of marketing themselves and telling the founder's story and all of that. And then also we were looking at the products available right now. You haven't relied on this constant newness of launching new products to keep the brand relevant and to grow your business. And so we were kind of baffled, like, how have you been able to do that? Because (laughs) it doesn't seem like possible anymore. So what I will say about the influencer part is it's super strategic and it works for some and not for others. I refuse to be the face of Black Girl Sunscreen because I don't feel like in order to use Black Girl Sunscreen, you have to be any complexion. And I think in our situation that a light-skinned woman would question, like, hey, can I use black girl sunscreen, even though she's a black woman? If she saw you as the face of it? If she saw me, I'm dark-skinned, thin, 5'6". So like, oh, if Shantae is the face of the brand, then I should fit this mold. And that's not what we want to say. So even in our advert, we try to have a range of different women that are using the product. And it's worked for us. People are interested in me, but it's for me. 
I like my privacy, and I also have always thought, you know, of my favorite brands. I don't know who's behind that shit. No, I'm not sliding in their DMs either, because people <laughs> slide in my DMs. They, I'm, I'm so serious. And no, totally. Questions, and I'm just yeah. like, no, I don't really want that. What does it matter? What does matter is that they know that it is a black woman behind the company, right? There's no scams here. I'll use that word or fooling of anyone, but it is, you know, our company, our organization is 95% female and of color, if you will. So I'm not an influencer, but I guess I kind of am. Because when I do speak to the people that follow me, they are listening and they are watching. And even with our brand, I mean, there's so many eyes on the Black Girl Sunscreen brand. It's unbelievable. And I do know, even though somebody may not follow us, they check for us. They definitely check. Yeah. Secondly, in terms of being a sunscreen brand, it's important for me that we are making products that are going to speak to all skin types, right? And we're listening to our community about what they want. So it takes some time to get these things right. And our original SKU SPF 30, that's our OG. Like it's never going anywhere. But the products to come have to be perfect in my mind for whatever it is. We have BGS Kids, which we don't necessarily put a color on that. But then we have Make It Matte, which is a mattifying sunscreen for the face. And women love it. They absolutely love it. But we got it right. But it just takes some time. So no, we're not constantly dropping you know, new products because we want to get them right. And we want to establish ourselves as a sun care brand. So when it comes to sun care, there's core products that you need to have. So, you know, a synthetic sunscreen, a mineral, which is right around the corner, coming up in 2022. And then, you know, the sunscreen that may serve as a primer, some continuous sprays. Like, we have to get all those things coming before we're like, oh, here's a coconut raspberry sunscreen. I don't know, just to give you an example. So it's a little bit different than certain other industries. Can you tell me a little bit about your fundraising journey and how you've done it? Yeah, shit was hard. It was hard. The 30 grand that you initially started with was that just money you would save was oh that yeah savings? that was my money got yeah. it and then when was the next fundraising event just last year so i went three years reinvesting my own money and prioritizing the business before anything else and just reinvesting so whatever you know if we sold a tube of sunscreen it just went right back into the business and then somebody saw my numbers i was in a community and somebody saw my numbers are like girl your business is on fire i'm like really oh thanks I didn't notice. I didn't have anything to compare it to. And he's like, I think that you should talk to investors. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And that was a journey within itself. I didn't know any of these terms. I didn't know what's a good deal, what's not a good deal. I have a lot of confidence, but speaking to one person could either shoot you up or shoot you down. So the process was extremely challenging also because you are now allowing someone else to come in your business and make decisions for good or I wouldn't say for bad, but for their best interest and understanding if you want to do that. I think it's a lot of thinking, but I knew that to get black girl sunscreen to the next level, Shantae's money wasn't long enough anymore. Who did you raise from? A private investor. She gets it and she's totally on board. And I think that, you know, just along with every other concept, you're going to find the right person to believe in yourself and the business. 
So yes, Nick, it was, I wouldn't even say a challenge. It was just kind of like you knew who understood it and saw value in the demographic and understanding that we were hitting an unserved, underdeveloped white space there. So if you just understand the economics of it, this is like a no brainer. Do you have interest in raising from bigger VCs in the future, like to, again, to take it to then the next level. Nick only cares about money. No, I'm just, I I think (laughs) that it's one of those things where as a brand founder, like you'll either be strapped for cash or people will be throwing money at you and you don't know which deal to take. And to your point, it's a very quick, you have 10 minutes to sort of figure out what all the words mean. You're like convertible note. Okay. Let me Google that. Okay. Now I know that I'm like dealing with, you know, it's all that shit. You know, what was interesting about Black Girl Sunscreen is when we did raise, we had a Forbes article written on us, but like so many outlets picked it up. And I could say that some businesses raised and nobody talks about them. So it's interesting just to try to figure out why the attention on Black Girl Sunscreen and that raise, because my concept of money is like different now. A million dollars at the time was a lot, but a million dollars in regards to like business is nothing. It's like pennies. You just squirt it out and you're done. Right. So to answer your question, Nick, yes, 100 percent, we're ready for a next round. It's just about finding the right partnership. That's interesting that you you said it got like kind of organically picked up your fundraise, because I feel like so many brands invest so much money just in announcing their fundraise alone. That's like definitely a happy thing that happened for you guys where you didn't have to do that because I don't necessarily agree with that either, because it's like, cool, you raised money. That's not really an accomplishment for your business right you basically like oh now you've signed into like contract now you're, you're in kinda, the hole yeah, yeah now you're in a hole <laughs> like so but that's cool that there was that interest and that people were picking up on like hey something new is happening here and this is like not the norm well even today i still have investors vc companies in the inbox and i just got them in the folder for when i'm ready so i just think again it's about understanding the economics this is a no-brainer no-brainer mm-hmm. last year during the height of the George Floyd protests and the subsequent renewing of the Black Lives Matter movement in the beauty space. Everyone and their mother had like a listicle and like a slideshow about black owned beauty brands to support. I say it in this way because it felt very like white guilt or something like, oh my God, let me quickly like get something and like post a slideshow. Did you find a brand lift from that spike in coverage? And if so, has that sustained or has it tapered? You're hundred percent. Like I'll put it nicely. Brands wanted to shake hands with Black-owned businesses, and it was a catch-22 at the time because you're like, damn, I reached out to this brand back in 2018, and they wouldn't even answer the DM or email, and here they are in your inbox. Oh. Like retailers being like, hey, we want to carry you now? Or no, what? not retailers. You know what? I've never reached out to a retailer before. They've all reached out to Black Girl Sunscreen. Wait, so, so who, who at Target had the They Googled insight. us. Interesting. Yeah, every single retailer to this day, and we've had pretty much every retailer reach out to Black Girl Sunscreen. And that's because, though, we are making a lot of noise in this space, Mm -hmm. right? You cannot, if you're trying to tell a story that resonates with the Black community on sun safety, you need to have Black Girl Sunscreen in your assortment, period. (laughs) It was a catch-22 because, well, what you asked me was, like, in regards to who wanted to shake hands. Was it retailers? In my situation, no, it wasn't necessarily retailers. It was brands. It could be like a swimsuit brand Mm. that like, hey, this makes sense. Sunscreen and a bathing suit. Let's do a flat lay and let's do a contest. And you couldn't get anything. But now it's like, oh, my gosh, we want to highlight you, Shantae. We want to highlight Black Girl Sunscreen. You're just like, I'm so confused right now. But okay, I get it. And so the catch-22 part is, well, do you not do this collaboration because you know that this business is being reactive? 
as opposed to genuinely wanting to do the collaboration with you. And I think that some people have articulated like, hey, this was a mistake on our part and we'd like to change it going forward. And some are just like, okay, they're just doing it to kind of like satisfy and pacify others. And I think it was kind of easy to tell who was on that train. Did you basically make your decisions based on that criteria? Like who you could tell was genuinely kind of upset that they hadn't been more active? Yeah, and in some situations, we were also excited too to hear somebody like reach out regardless if it was BLM or not. It was just, okay, here's the opportunity. Let's just build on that. But then there were some that were just like, okay, we took it because we're in the same space and they didn't have any traction on their collab because people knew that it wasn't really genuine or authentic. So today, you know, I would say that some people want to know how to support Black-owned businesses. So has it died down? Yeah, from like June and July, definitely. But it was also our season. However, because we still have a lot of momentum, we are seeing that non-Black people are supporting Black Girl Sunscreen. So like if you go on TikTok and hashtag Black Girl Sunscreen, you will see uh, non-women of color putting on Make It Matte, putting on BGS kids on their kids. So it's been really interesting to see that. That was my last dumb question, which was, can gay white boys wear Black Girl Sunscreen? No. Um, <laughs> no? No, it's not a dumb question. What's been really hard to see is, how can we put this? So our focus is on the woman of color because we were the ones that were ignored for years, right? I am my own customer, so I know how to speak to other black women, at least I think. We didn't make a sunscreen for men because that wasn't like my forte. We are progressive and we love incorporating people that support black girl sunscreen. So for example, if some man that likes to wear makeup, if he does a video using black girl sunscreen, we're excited about that because we've now touched someone and said, hey, you should protect your skin and this person is doing it. However, our community is like, ah, 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 this is for us. Don't do that. So we're walking this fine line on really trying to involve everyone, but still you know, be true to our core. Yeah, not like alienate the people that make your brand what it is. Right, right, right. So Nick, yes, we're excited. We want to partner because we are Black women and we get it. So why can't someone that is in a same-sex relationship in a different gender wear sunscreen? doesn't turn you Black, I promise you. <laughs> and that's, I think, the amazing thing about the, what you named the brand. I bet there's people who you talk to who like didn't get the name, but to me, not that anyone asked me, it's more of an idea because as you said, it's for kids, it's for anyone, but it's more of this idea of why it's, it answers more the question why than it does who it is suitable for. I'll be honest, like when a guy sees it, like Black Girl Century, and they're just like, oh, that's for women or for girls or whatever. And they're reluctant. We've had pushback from our major retailers about the name, like how... Shantae, you know, as you continue to grow, like, how did your brand become more inclusive? That's such a weird question, because it's like this customer base is huge. You can run a business just targeting this customer base. You don't need to be inclusive to grow your business and have like a crazy successful business. That's something that I'm like seeing a lot with brands. It's like this idea that they have to bring in all these different customer types in order to grow the business. It's just, is that something that you're... But, but Annie, but you know what? It depends on who's asking the question because it could be coming from someone that is feeling excluded. 
and not used to being excluded. True. Right? I don't yeah, need yeah, to, yeah. you can read in between the lines there. No, totally, totally. That's fair. I guess I'm just coming from like a more like a, uh, invest, from where like I'm investors from. or like whatever that are like, how are you going to grow this business and make more money? By well, like- because they, they see our demographic as being poor and not wanting to spend their money on that. But what they don't understand is the black people, we don't have a, a huge disposable income, but we spend our money on disposable shit. You see time and time again, it's like the highest spenders and the beauty personal care category are black and Latino people. It's not like white people. And so it's interesting that there would even be any pushback around, is this demo big enough or like, is the opportunity there? Yeah. So with inclusivity, you know, how do you uh, incorporate a man? How do you Mm. incorporate someone that, you know, doesn't identify as either? Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm like, the fuck kind of hard question is that? This is what I literally told the person in a corporate setting. I said, that's a really hard question because brands are battling with it today. I don't know, but we're open to it. And honestly, I don't see someone that has to identify as anything to want to protect their skin. It's hard stuff. It's hard and it's frustrating. And I think your point could be underlined that typically those kind of questions are coming from someone who maybe for the first time ever feels like it's not necessarily for them. Like even me asking it, for example, it's like, oh, wait, because I can wear every single other brand of sunscreen, right? Yeah, totally. Why not yours? Why not yours, Shante? That's not right. That's not fair. Yeah. Exactly. And I see from a business perspective, like the trade-off, which is this is a huge market, which if if you're going to talk investor language, like huge opportunity, but also that's okay that it's not for everyone because guess what? Like the other shit's not for us. Right. hundred percent. And that's always been kind of the sentiment that I will share. It's changed. It's developed. I've matured over the years. So what's next? Just to be global. You know, we've done some expansion to Canada UK, Nigeria, South Africa. So really just to get the product into all hands that want to use it. And you said mineral is next? Minerals coming up? Yeah, mineral. How do you make a mineral sunscreen that doesn't leave a white cast? You shall see. So for us, it's, it's really about communicating the benefits of wearing sunscreen within the community and just being really present and very vocal and very visible. So as long as we continue to do that, then we're good. Really nothing more, nothing less. All the other stuff will fall into place and will come. I mean, we were on the Today Show last Thursday. We get so many different opportunities, and we're just thankful and grateful just to be here at this time. Nick, it's that time. You always make me go first. This time it's your turn. Okay, I'm ready. I always am. Go. Okay, I've been obsessed with nails lately, which I feel like, to borrow your term that you used for hair in our hair interview with (laughs) two hair experts, I feel like the nail category has gotten increasingly dusty. Really? Because I feel like people are going into salons to like get the gel nails and the nail art. And that's really, you can't recreate that at home. You can't. Even the decals. I've tried a lot of the decals, and let me tell you, they still need work. So my product this week... As you know, I am a devoted Redditor. I have joined a long natural nail community, and I came across a piece of advice that you really shouldn't be using normal nail files, especially not metal. Whatever you do, do not use a metal nail file is what they're saying. Why? Because basically you're rubbing this like jagged surface against your nail and you're creating another jagged surface on your nail. And that's how your nail easily like breaks and splits, chips. So they recommend glass nail files. And let me tell you, glass nail files. Glass nail. I feel like record scratch. Hold on. What about like emery boards, like the cardboard ones? 
Yeah, same thing. Those at least come in different grits. So you should really, if you are going to use one of those, use the finest grit that you can find. Don't use like the coarse boards. But the best thing to buy apparently is a glass nail file. And I bought several because I, I wanted to try them all. The glass nail file I recommend is called Spa Sister. And I got it at the Polish beauty supply down the street from me. I haven't seen it online, but I also haven't looked. So let me do that for you right now. Oh, not bad at all. I think I paid way more money for this. They're $9.00. You can get them in blue, green, pink, or red at spasister.com. And I think that the grit is very fine, so you do have to kind of get used to it. It honestly felt a little bit like nails on a chalkboard, which really irks me, but you do get used to it, so don't worry. Actually, the that sensation was way worse on the ones that I bought from Amazon. So again, if you want to avoid that at all costs... And what this, makes the glass one better? It's just really fine. And also, apparently, the texture of the surface does not get worn down over time like an emery board would. So they last way longer, in theory, forever, uh, unless you break it because you don't put it in your case. Oh, it comes with a case. Yeah. All the ones I've seen have come with cases. And yeah, I think, I mean, really, best shape I've ever gotten in shaping my nails this week. So that's my story. And it doesn't, like, can you give us, oh, I know, I was going to ask the worst question, what? which was, uh, what does it sound like? Can you, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't think we want that. Let's do it's it. Like let's do it. Look, if you ASMR. don't want to hear it, then turn down your volume, take out your yeah. headphones. Let's oh, just, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. some okay. people do. Oh, the other cool thing that they said on Reddit, which I don't know if it's true, is that so if you have ever read like an article about how to do your own manicures, they always say to file only in one direction because of that same thing. You don't want to create like a jagged surface. You want everything smooth. Apparently with glass nail files, because they're so fine grit, you can saw away in both directions. Mm. So there you go. I don't know. My mom, when I was growing up, always used files and it was like I couldn't handle. I couldn't. My mom did too, and she also kept them in their cases in her bag. She always had the Revlon metal files. But yeah, I can't wait. I'm. I have a bunch of nail polish I want to order from these like cool indie nail polish brands. I'm like super into nails. Oh, last week I did a pumice thing, didn't I? Yeah, you've been like really into like your like grooming of your extremities. Well, here's the thing: I can't get pedicures because I have a weird foot problem from when I was on swim team as a kid, <laughs> and I don't want to give mean, it like to that other thing people. where like you get the spasm. <laughs> No, as in like, <laughs> I have. I don't want to say it. Say it. Say yeah. it. Say it. I sometimes get plantar warts, and I don't want to give them to other people. And basically, okay. what they are, they're warts that go inside. So they're like, they suck. What do you mean they go inside? They like grow they're flat. Inside? They're flat against you at the bottom of your foot. It's not like when you think of a typical wart where it like sticks out, and you have to get them cut out. But yeah, On I a lighter just... note. But just know I'm a good person. I don't get pedicures for that reason. That is really actually kind of you. On another note, my product of the week is from a brand that I've talked about before. It's called The New Company or The New Co. And it's out of the UK, but they have a direct-to-consumer website in the US. They just launched a moisturizer, like a daily moisturizer called Barrier Culture Moisturizer. And... The angle for this moisturizer is that it repopulates the microbiome that is on the surface of your skin by repairing or nurturing your barrier, your skin barrier. You're also able to better protect against things that are trying to fuck it up, like pollution, like wrinkles, like everything. So what this product has is squalane, niacinamide, peptides, ceramides, and prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics. Come again? To repair the skin barrier 
And I've been trying it every day for two weeks. And it's really nice. What I like about the new company is I kind of just trust because their mission has always been to be extremely straightforward and transparent about the ingredients they're choosing and why they source things from different places. And so I have grown to trust that when they come out with a product that they've developed it in the cleanest and safest, I should say safest way possible. And what I think is also cool about this product is that it's pretty gentle. So oftentimes if you want plumped up skin or like a little bit brighter skin or things like that, you have to go to a brightening moisturizer, maybe with an acid or something like that. But what's great about this one is because it's trying to really nourish and repair your moisture barrier, it's pretty low key in a good way. Nice. Are you wearing it right now? Yeah. Let me see. Oh, yes. I see those postbiotics working. And if anyone doubts the science behind what they're talking about, they have like, if you go to thenewco.com and you go to their barrier culture moisturizer page, you can read all about the clinical studies that they've done and also their sort of theory for why they added each of these ingredients to work together. I like a little education with my moisture. $65 and you only need one or two little pumps. Nick, I feel like you're constantly switching up moisturizer. I know. Is that bad? No. I'm just saying, like, is there any other type of beauty product that you're looking to incorporate into your routine? <sighs> Great question. No. You're probably looking to pair back. You don't really have time anymore now that you have a... Yeah, I'm not, I don't have time and I don't, funnily enough, and I feel like people who know me will roll their eyes at this, I'm not particularly vain. I don't care really on a day-to-day -day basis what I look like, so... I can sometimes get really grody, but... Well, I think you surround yourself with, like, nice Yeezy clothes, and that kind of makes up for it. Your lips to God's ears. Throw on that yellow sweatshirt that I borrow when I'm over there, and those discarded sheepskin sandals, and you're ready for the day. Ready for Air One. There you go. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant, and our cover art, or album art, our debut single was designed by Simon Abronowitz. You can follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty, or you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Rate the hell out of our show, review the hell out of our show, and we will see you soon. Be nice to Zac Efron. We don't want to hear it or see anything else. Bye.